It's Tuesday, June 25th. Welcome to Skim This. We're breaking down the most complex stories of the day and giving you the context on why they matter. Today, we're diving into the case for U.S. sanctions. New ones were announced against top Iranian officials, but what impact will they have? We'll connect the dots on how these policy power moves have been playing out. Then, another woman has come forward with sexual misconduct allegations against President Trump. We'll give you the details on why this time is different. And finally, why Popeye might have been onto something. We're here to make your Tuesday smarter. Let's skim this. The most complicated story today is about sanctions. President Trump issued new sanctions against Iran's top officials yesterday. In response, Iran's leaders are calling the sanctions idiotic and finding other ways to insult the U.S., which they historically like to do. This isn't the first time President Trump has issued sanctions against Iran or another country to try to get the country's leadership to change course. And it's not the first time Iran's leaders have verbally lashed out in response. But it's happening at a critical time for the two countries, as they appear closer and closer to the brink of war. We're going to really break it down here. What are sanctions anyway, and how are they supposed to work? How big of a deal are these latest sanctions against Iran? And bigger picture, do sanctions like these work the way the U.S. wants them to? Okay, so what are sanctions? Sanctions are any kind of punishment one country or a group of countries like the United Nations levels against another country or specific individuals in those countries. Congress can vote to issue sanctions or the executive branch can. In this case, it was Trump. When we talk about U.S. sanctions against Iran, we're usually talking about economic sanctions. The U.S. stops buying their stuff or selling them stuff and calls on their partners to follow suit to isolate them from the rest of the world, which in turn hurts their economy. The idea is that the leaders will start feeling internal pressure from their own people, who will demand that the government change its policies. The U.S. has issued sanctions against Iran for decades for things like funding terrorism and building its nuclear program. In 2015, Iran agreed to cut back its nuclear ambitions as part of the Iran nuclear deal. In return, other countries, including the U.S., agreed to ease up on the sanctions. Some European businesses started investing in Iran's economy. But when President Trump pulled out of the Iran nuclear deal last year, he reimposed sanctions on Iran, including on the oil industry, which is Iran's main source of income. And he warned European businesses to stop doing business with Iran, too or they'd also be cut off by the U.S. That hurt Iran, but it also drove a stake between the U.S. and allied countries that had been buying that oil, including South Korea and Japan. But like we said, sanctions don't just apply to countries and businesses. They can also target individual people. That's what these brand new economic sanctions against Iran are about. The U.S. is sanctioning big-name Iranian officials, including its Supreme Leader Ayatollah Khamenei and the Iranian military commander of the unit that the U.S. says shot down an American drone last week. When the U.S. sanctions individual people like this, it means they can prevent them from traveling to the U.S., block access to any assets or any money they may have in the U.S., or block them from using international bank accounts. It also means U.S. businesses can't do business with them, and foreign businesses risk facing U.S. penalties if they do. It's especially a big move when just a few people control most of a country's business interests. These top Iranians probably don't have much cash in the U.S. or want to come over for a visit. But other people who face sanctions like these definitely have. 
Like in 2018, when the U.S. sanctioned 24 Russians, including oligarch Oleg Deripaska, a big-time aluminum magnate who also had homes in Manhattan and Washington, D.C. He had deep ties to the Kremlin and to Paul Manafort, but the reason he was sanctioned was because of Russia's interference in the 2016 election. So basically, that's what the Trump administration is trying to do here, too. Get to Iran's leadership by targeting their inner circle. The question is, do sanctions work? It kind of depends on the situation. The sanctions against Deripaska and a bunch of the other Russian guys were lifted earlier this year, even though there's evidence that Russia is still a threat to U.S. elections. And Russia's economy is reportedly doing very well, despite those and a bunch of other sanctions that have been going on for years. The U.S. and the U.N. have sanctioned North Korea for years over their nuclear ambitions, too. The U.S. and North Korea had been in talks about it, but even though North Korea's economy is struggling, they're not letting go of all of their nukes. Lately, they've been sidling up to China, hoping to get around the impact of international sanctions by building up ties there. And the Iranian government is kind of going the same route. They've been defiant. And since these latest sanctions are mostly symbolic, because, again, Iran's leaders don't really have assets outside of Iran, the sanctions may not have much real-world effect at all. So what's the skim? Iran's economy has suffered as a result of all U.S. sanctions on the country's industries. Inflation in Iran has risen by 50%, and the country has a medicine shortage. The Trump administration says the sanctions won't impact humanitarian items, and that they still want to negotiate. Here's White House National Security Advisor John Bolton earlier today in Jerusalem, at a gathering of security officials from the U.S., Russia, and Israel. The president has held the door open to real negotiations to completely and verifiably eliminate Iran's nuclear weapons program, its pursuit of ballistic missile delivery systems, its support for international terrorism, and its other malign behavior worldwide. All that Iran needs to do is to walk through that open door. Iran's response has been to stay their course. It's giving European countries still in the Iran nuclear deal until July 7th to give Iran a reason to stay in, too. Basically, Iran's asking, how are you going to help us make money in spite of these sanctions? European officials want Iran to stay in the deal, and they're expected to talk about all the drama with Iran with President Trump this coming Friday, in Japan, when everyone and their mother flies into Osaka for the G20 summit. Coming up, another thing President Trump may have on his radar this week, a new allegation about his past. That story's next. In case you missed it, there's a big presidential election coming up in 2020. The skim wants you to live smarter, which means staying informed, registering to vote, and then when the time comes, showing up at the polls. That gets started in a big way this week. If you're wondering how many Democrats can you fit into one debate, the answer is a lot. We have everything you need to know about who's on stage in Miami Wednesday and Thursday and some of the issues they care about. Just go to theskim.com slash debate. That's theskim with two M's dot com slash debate. You might have heard the name E. Jean Carroll floating around. Last week, in an excerpt from her new book, she accused President Trump of sexually assaulting her back in the mid-90s. Trump has denied it. It's a totally false accusation. I have absolutely no idea who she is. The accusation is the latest in a long string of allegations of sexual misconduct against the president. But it's the first since he became president. And it's getting attention for how little attention it's getting. First, let's talk about who Carol is. 
If you've picked up an Elle magazine in the last 26 years, you might have read her Ask E. Jean column. She writes about work, dating issues, and friendships. So the story she shared in that excerpt is that she had met Trump before, and then she ran into him at a New York department store. He asked her for help buying a present, and then he forced himself on her and penetrated her in the dressing room. She says she fought back and left the dressing room. She told two friends about the incident at the time, but says she decided not to go to the police. In an interview with CNN yesterday, Carol said she doesn't want to call it rape. I don't use the word, I have difficulty with the word. I, I you think see it, it as a fight. But she later acknowledged that what happened was, quote, the definition of rape. She's not alone in these allegations. Ten women have accused Trump of inappropriate sexual contact. Carol is now the sixth to accuse him of sexual assault, but she's the first to say he forcibly penetrated her. Most of those allegations started coming out in 2016, just weeks before he was elected, right after the infamous Access Hollywood tape came out. Two of those women have sued him, but those cases haven't been resolved yet. Carol's whole encounter was published in New York Magazine last week, but media outlets are being accused of playing down the report. Only the Washington Post put the story on their front page. Most other major papers didn't. The New York Times covered it in the book section. The big Sunday morning news shows basically ignored it. And the New York Post actually removed the story from their site. The former editor-in-chief who reportedly ordered that move is Cole Allen. He's a big Trump supporter. Again, Trump has denied these allegations. He said Carol is not his type. He said that about a number of these women. The Democratic presidential hopefuls are flooding into Florida right now, getting ready for the first primary debates on Wednesday and Thursday in Miami. And flooding is actually one issue Florida voters want to hear about. Some people are calling Florida ground zero for climate change in the U.S. A recent poll found that most Floridians are concerned about climate change and want the government to do something about it. That's probably not a coincidence. In Florida, higher water levels are flooding the streets, even when it's not raining. In the next 20 years, Florida will probably have to spend about $76 billion on seawalls. And it's been getting hotter. There have been record-breaking temperatures in the last few days alone. A few Democratic candidates have released climate proposals. Washington Governor Jay Inslee is even making climate change the focus of his campaign. And he spoke to The Skim about it. You can find that video and the rest of our 2020 content at theskim.com slash 2020. Before we go today, we've got a fun fact that sort of has to do with Popeye. You know, the sailor man. You know how his biceps bulged when he downed a can of spinach? Well, maybe it's not just a cartoon trick. Apparently, there's a chemical in spinach that is like a steroid. And German scientists now say it's so powerful, they think spinach, or at least that chemical, should be added to the list of banned doping substances for international athletes. In the study, researchers gave some athletes supplement pills with the equivalent chemical dosage in almost nine pounds of raw spinach. So yeah, not your average lunch break salad. Other athletes got a placebo. After 10 weeks, the spinach eater's physical strength had increased three times more than those on the placebo. The World Anti-Doping Agency sponsored the study, and they're going to be reviewing the results. Meanwhile, move over, Kale. Spinach is seriously back in the superfood game.
And that's all for Skim This. Thanks for listening and be sure to hit subscribe and rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts. And if you've already done that, tell your friends. Tell them all. <laughs>